Well, hey, what's up, Resonate Church family and any other friends tuning in and listening? Glad to have you here. My name is Jacob Dahl. I have the honor of leading our church here in Seattle. We are in a sermon series on the book of Colossians, looking at the six marks of Christian maturity. Every Sunday, we're going to look at one of these different marks, studying and learning what it means to live into a fruit-bearing life as disciples of Jesus. And so, what's cool about a lot of the New Testament is that it contains letters written to new and young and upcoming churches, helping them grow into the fullness of maturity in Christ. And so the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae is one of these letters. As we engage this letter, though it's a 2,000-year-old document, it has profound implications for the modern church to consider, especially ours here in Seattle, which is new and young and upcoming. So let's dive in together. What's up, everyone? Uh, for those that don't know me, my name's Kyle. I'm on staff here with Resonate. I also work full-time at school. So it's a joy to be in front of you all this evening. It's spring break. Stoked about it. Um, want you all to imagine with me uh, a young boy growing up. Uh, a boy that, that loves his dad and a dad that loves his boy. Over the years, as this boy grows to be a teen, the relationship gets harder. It, it grows tense, uh, and year by year, it grows more and more tense and hard. There's more yelling, there's more manipulation, there's more frustration, there's, there's more tears. The boy can't remember when the change happened, but at some point, instead of the relationship being about love, the relationship was about trying to be good enough for his dad. Instead of the boy loving the dad, he feared the dad, worried that at any point, if he messed up or if he wasn't good enough, that punishment would come. The boy just wanted to be loved, but he was often met with indifference at best, uh, and at the worst, he was met with rage, anger, yelling. The years continue, the, the relationship gets worse and worse until there's barely a relationship at all. Eventually, the, the boy leaves. Uh, a relationship that was once filled with love and, and joy and fun is now a source of anger for the boy. Re resentment, fear, anger is really all that's remembered. It's all he can think about when it comes to his relationship with his dad. The boy just wanted love. That's all he wanted, was to be loved by his father. He wanted to know his dad loved him, not for what he did, but for who he was. He was his son. But his dad didn't know how to love. The, the dad himself grew up as a child without love. He, he wasn't loved, and so he didn't know how to love others, including his son. So tonight, we're going to talk about love. Last week, Jacob covered the first half of Colossians 3, discuss, discussing sin and putting to death the old self. This week, we're going to be talking about the second half of that passage, as Paul talks about putting to death the old self, putting to death sin and immorality. He transitions in verse 12 to putting on the new self, the self exemplified by Christ. So, if you want to grab a copy of Scripture, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, we're going to read through just a couple of verses. Uh, in Colossians 3. 
verses 12 through 15. Starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. So, tonight we're going to talk about what it looks like to put on the new self. As we put to death the old, as we put to death sin, what is it that we should pick up? Uh, In this passage, Paul describes a couple different things for us to take on, or, or to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But he takes it a step further and says that above all, we should put on love. So, before we go any further, we should figure out what love means. One, one of the most popular verses to quote and to use in weddings, uh, I think it, it's a great place to start. Maybe a little cheesy, maybe a little overused, but still solid. Uh, so, For those that don't know, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, in it, Paul describes love as uh, patient and kind. He says that love does not envy or boast, that it's not arrogant or rude, that it isn't irritable or resentful, that it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So Paul covers both sides of love, what it is and what it isn't. And a lot of these things are similar to the virtues that he says uh, in Colossians 3. So we're just going to hit a direct comparison, Colossians 3 to 1 Corinthians 13. So in Colossians 3, Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with patience and kindness. Colossians 13 says that love is patient and kind. Colossians 3, Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. In Corinthians 13, he says that love does not envy boast and is not arrogant, which you could consider to be the opposite of humility, maybe even gentleness. He says that love is not irritable or resentful, which again could easily be thought of as the opposite to compassionate or again maybe gentle. These are all also mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit, characteristics and, and traits that we should be exemplifying through the Spirit in us. So, this is great. Love is patient, it's kind, it's compassionate, gentle, has humility, but, but what's that mean practically? Hot take that maybe isn't that hot. I think that Christians are a lot better at talking about love than actually loving people. The, the American church has this fascination with talking about love. Uh, we love to say that we love others. We love to tell people that we should love their neighbors, but... We, we have a hard time actually loving people because love is costly. It, it, it's hard. It's difficult. And so when we think of love in the context of friendships and relationships, uh, I think we tend to love people because you enjoy their presence most of the time and it's convenient. You, you have someone to spend time with. You have someone that you enjoy life with. You can talk to about your problems. And, and so you love them. And that's where we stop most of the time. But I think that that's cheap love. Like, that's not real, deep love. Do do you love them when they hurt you? 
when, when they do something that, that wrongs you, do you still love them or do you avoid them, ghost them, end the relationship? Maybe you intentionally just stop responding to texts to create some distance so that way when you stop being their friend, it feels less sudden. Do you love them when they make mistakes or do you hold it against them? Are you petty and you throw it back in their face? Do you love them when it means giving up your weekends, your money, your plans? So speaking very broadly, I, I think that the American church's love is no different than the rest of culture and societies most of the time. That's not, not true always, but often there's not a lot of difference. And in some aspects, culture and society loves the rest of culture and society better than Christians do. We're, we as the church, we're petty, we hold grudges, Oftentimes, we care more about being right than the person we're arguing against. But that's not the love that Christ calls us to. In Luke 6, 32-36, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Again, even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Again, culture and society, man, they'll love people because they love them back. They're good to people because they're good to them back. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So that's love. Being kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, I think is different than how we often treat love. But that's not easy. So how do, how do we do this? How do we, how do we love others? I got five ways to love those around you better. And this, this is just a starting point. This is just the next step. But first, we have be intentional. We see Jesus be intentional all the time. Whether it's being in a certain place at a certain time, performing certain miracles, uh, the timing of it. But one example of this is with the women at the well in John 4. Scripture tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Which if you don't know, the Jews at the time despised Samaria. They, they wanted to avoid it as much as they could. They would cross the Jordan River just to avoid going through it. But Jesus being intentional he, he placed himself there. He had an intentional plan to meet with that woman at the well to show her his true self. And so we should be mindful and, and aware of our actions and how they affect others. We should be thinking through how we can show love to others through small daily acts or larger ones. Intentionality also looks like how you respond to others. When you've had a rough day at work, you have to be intentional to walk through the door and love your roommates or your spouse. It's a choice that you have to be intentional in making. Every day on my way home from work, I put in my headphones, I listen to some music, and I intentionally prepare myself to walk through my front door. I, I'm, I'm intentionally trying to leave the cares and the burdens of my workday behind so I can step in to my home and be intentional in my effort to love my wife. Some days that, that doesn't happen, you know, you want to, to have your spouse, your roommates, whatever, bear in the burdens with you, and that's a good thing. But we should be intentional in our effort to love those around us. Number two, we should be full of grace. 
In all of our interactions, we should lead with grace. All of the books of the gospel are filled with Jesus being an example of this. Healing and showing compassion to those who don't deserve it. Uh, forgiving others of their sins. But I think two really good examples are found in Luke 7 and John 8. Luke 7, Jesus is in a town, and while there, he met a mother who had lost her son. She didn't ask, but he felt compassion for her. He felt grace towards her. And so he raised her son from the dead. Because of his grace for this woman who had lost her son, he performed a miracle to bring her son back to him back to her. In John 8, you have the story of the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees caught her, brought her before Jesus, quoting Old Testament law, saying that she should be stoned and put to death. But Jesus tells the Pharisees that, that the one without sin can be the first to throw. He, he's showing grace to her in that moment, sparing her life. And in that moment, he's also taking it a step further. He, he asks the woman, who here condemns you? And she says, no one. He says, nor do I condemn you. Be free, go and sin no more. So you see this moment of grace towards this woman. So you know when you mess up and you, you know it's your fault, you're like, I'm in the wrong, I screwed up, this is on me. And you're just like sitting there waiting to have to tell someone, whether it's at work or with a roommate or a spouse, and you're just sitting there. You're like, I know I have to tell someone, I really don't want to. There's going to be repercussions, consequences on the other side, and you're just a mess. Have you ever had a moment where they just, like, don't acknowledge it? They just, like, they don't get mad, they don't get upset, they just take it in stride. Those moments, man, it, it's like the, the, the weight of the world is falling off your shoulders. The, the relief that you experience, like, you're not, you're not mad? Like, you're not going to start yelling at me? That's significant. And so, if we desire that, we should strive to be those people. Lord knows that I'm not perfect, uh, and he doesn't expect me, expect me to be. That's, that's the whole point of the gospel and the cross. So why should I expect someone else to be perfect? Why should I treat them as if anything less than perfection is unexpected and unacceptable? We, we should be full of grace towards others. Number three is to be sacrificial. Obviously, the, the greatest example of sacrificial love we see from Jesus is his death on the cross. But there are other examples as well. One being in John 13, uh, at the Last Supper, you see Christ being a, sacri a sacrificial servant, washing the feet of the disciples, uh, a task that was considered lowly and for servants and slaves. Christ got down on his knees and washed the feet of of his disciples, those that were around him, including the man that was ultimately responsible for his death. And so if Christ is our example for love, we can see that love is costly. It requires sacrifice. So we should be sacrificial with our time, our money, and our things. One of the times I felt most loved by a friend, I was super sick, I felt like crap, I was dehydrated, I needed food, I needed water, probably some electrolytes. Um, and two of my friends were both very busy with school, with work, with discipleship, uh, with relationships. They went out of their way to drive across town to the grocery store, which in Ellensburg is less, con less of an inconvenience than trying to find a store here, but it's still a sacrifice. Um, they drove across town, 
to Fred Meyer and then drove back across town to my place to drop off some food and some Gatorade. And it was a small act, like that really doesn't require much. But for me, I felt like such a burden at the time. And so for them to spend their money, to spend their time, to drive across town and come back to bring me those things joyfully, without complaint, without hesitation, was significant. And I felt very deeply loved in that moment, which is why four or five years later, I still remember where I was sitting at on the couch when they came through the front door and handed me a bag full of stuff. So we should be sacrificial and, and joyfully sacrificial in our love for others. Number four, we should be prayerful. We see Jesus praying constantly in the Gospels. Uh, the authors of the Gospels are always writing, and he went away to pray. Jesus goes away to pray. He also prayed at his baptism when he fed the 4,000, when he fed the 5,000, before being arrested on the cross. Jesus is constantly praying for the people around him and for himself and to God. And so it's hard for us to love others like Christ does if we are not praying for them and asking for God to be in their lives, to move and to be present. The, the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit because it's a work of the Lord in our own hearts. So we should pray for others. We should pray that God would be present, that the Lord would give us loving hearts and, and a burden towards these people. We should also pray that God would do a work in us, transform us, help us to be more patient, to be more kind, to be more compassionate. But we should be prayerful people in how we love others. Number five is to be forgiving. Personally, I think one of the most impactful ways we love someone is to forgive them. Not only does Jesus constantly teach about forgiveness in his parables, he's also constantly an example of himself of forgiveness. Um, forgiving people of their sins, forgiving people as they're dropped from ceilings to be healed. In John 21, we see Christ forgive Peter for denying him three times. Peter said, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And Jesus afterwards forgives him and tells him that he's going to build his church on him. In Luke 23, Jesus asks for the Father to forgive the people that are killing him. He's on the cross and he is asking for forgiveness for the people that are responsible because they know not what they're doing. And so as someone who's experienced both sides, I can tell you that in moments of offering and receiving forgiveness, those are probably the moments where I've felt nearest to Christ, nearest to experiencing His love in the flesh. When you really mess up, when, when you know that you did wrong, there is nothing that will wreck you more than someone offering their genuine forgiveness to you. Man, it, it's a relief, and you feel so much love and joy in that moment. And when someone wrongs you, offering forgiveness is powerful for your own heart. Man, to, to step out in action and exemplify Christ's love, but also watching as someone else gets to receive that forgiveness is powerful as well. And so we should be forgiving when we love others. If you want to love others, you want someone to experience the love of Christ, you should start with these five things. Be intentional, be graceful, be sacrificial, be prayerful, be forgiving, and look to Christ as the example. The, the story of the boy at the start. The, the story doesn't end with him going off to school angry, resenting his father. 
A couple years into his time at school, the Lord radically captures his heart, and the now young man decides to follow Jesus. He found a heavenly father that, that loves him unconditionally, not because of what he does. A couple years in to following Jesus, he recognized that there was still a lot of anger in his heart. He found his heavenly father, but all he wanted was to experience that love from his earthly father. He was frustrated and, and angry that he would probably never get that experience. But the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does best and helped the young man realize that while he wouldn't get to experience that love from his earthly father, his dad get, didn't get to experience it either. His dad's parents didn't love him. Even now, very few did love him and almost no one ever showed it. And in that moment, the, the anger and frustration turned to sadness as he felt compassion for his father. A man that he once resented, he now had empathy for. So the son, who had no idea what to do at this point, decided that he needed to show his father what intentional love looked like. So he headed back home, and over a meal he explained it all. He told his dad about his anger, his resentment, his frustration. He told him about Christ and the work that he had done in his heart. And then he both offered his forgiveness to his father, forgiving his dad for all the ways that he had wronged him, and asked for forgiveness from the father for the anger and the bitterness that he had held on to, damaging their relationship. And in that moment, the father broke down sobbing, thankful. When the man left, he, he went to hug his dad, something that hadn't happened in years. And the dad did not know how to respond. He just stood there awkwardly as the son told him he loved him. It had been years since he had received love like that, and he didn't know what to do. The next time the man went home, he hugged his father again as he left. And this time, there was kind of an awkward one-arm wraparound and in a quiet, love you too. But eventually, the goodbyes turned into full hugs and full I love yous. The father not only started to receive the love, but also attempted to give it. Intentionality, grace, sacrifice, prayer, forgiveness, those five things moved the son. They moved the father and started healing their relationship. Everything wasn't magically fixed with one hug, with one conversation, but healing was and, and is happening. There's progress. And it's because of Christ and his love exemplified. The father doesn't know Jesus, but he's closer now than he was before. The love of Christ through the son has brought him closer, slowly, but surely. And so I continue to hug him and I try to love him, and I pray that God would move in his heart, and that one day my dad would know Jesus because of my love for him through Christ. Would you all pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for your love, God. We, we thank you for the love that you poured out on the cross for us, God, you have redeemed us and restored a relationship with us so that we might get to experience your unconditional love, God. 
Father, would you make us a church that loves others, Father? Would we love this campus? Would we love this city, Father? In, in an area that's hard to love, in an area that doesn't agree with what we believe, Father, would you help us be loving people? Would you allow us to be intentional, to be sacrificial, to be graceful, to be prayerful, to be forgiving, Father? Would you make that true in our hearts, Father? Would your Spirit do a work in us, transforming us, redeeming us, sanctifying us to love your people better, God? It's your people, your sons and daughters that we desire to love and to show who you are so that your name might be glorified, God. So we love you, Father. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.